discovered is there's lots of great people out there that have been in this space and they've got some great stories to tell. So my goal is to give them this podcast and a place for them to tell those stories. This first one is with Jerry Beklisky, a gentleman I worked with back when I was at David's Bridal, a really solid IT pro and has some really interesting insights about e-commerce replatforms, a subject that I know well and have suffered through several And it's just something that doesn't get a lot of publicity out there in the world because generally they go poorly. So if you look online and try to Google replatforming, there just isn't a lot to talk about. You know, Jerry and I have been through a couple bad ones, and I think he's learned his lessons and actually just came off an amazing one from what I've heard. So I encourage you to listen in and feel free to reach out to me directly uh, if you have any interest in being on the podcast. Thanks. All right. Well, I'd like to welcome you all to the first edition of the Agents of E-Commerce. That's the name I decided on because everything else has taken podcast. Uh, I'm here with a former co-worker of mine, Jerry Beckleski. We go back 10 years, I checked. God, has it been that long already? It was 10 years. Do you feel years. as old as I feel now? I just had my 30th high school reunion, so I feel older. <laughs> Specifically older. But um, anyway, so, so Jerry and I have worked together for a period of time. We were both at David's Bridal, and we experienced something that many folks in the e-commerce world experience uh, several times over. Uh, it is called a replatform, and it's something that often happens with many sites when they feel like, you know what, their functionality, their performance, their capabilities aren't quite what they want. One way to go is to replatform, another way is to sort of add new tools. But uh, myself, I've been through two. Uh, Jerry, you've been through three? Uh, I actually did the count driving home from work today. Um, I looked just at the commerce platform side of upgrades, replatforms, new UIs, everything else. I've done close to about a dozen in 20 years. Wow. So I've obviously picked the wrong person to have a conversation with. So <laughs> thanks. Um, no, but uh, first off, Jerry, you can tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what got you in sort of the digital space and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so years and years ago, back in the dot-com boom, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to, uh, to be for a living. And I was fortunate that I went to a... Uh, very highly technical school and uh, kind of stumbled into the world of software development really by, by chance. I had a summer job working for a uh, local uh, startup internet provider back in the days of dial-up internet. Um, stayed there for a few years, kind of made my, my bones in the early parts of or the latter parts of dot-com um, and then just let my career kind of grow from there. So I, I started as a software engineer, then into systems engineering and architecture uh, before selling out into management, became a project and uh uh, development manager, and then moving up through the rest of the uh, the IT ranks. Um, currently, I am a vice president of technology for on-campus marketing, and we um, provide a white-labeled service to uh, about a thousand different universities that we partner with, where we do a um, program with them. They subscribe into any number of business lines that, that we offer, uh, and what we do is we, we help um, really put some goods and services in front of incoming freshmen, uh, other college students, as well as a uh, revenue share opportunity back to the school or whatever division of the school we're working with at that point in time. 
So, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty cool stuff with, with a, an entering freshman in college. I mean, the idea is it makes our lives pretty easy where you can just sort of know in the university and the bed sizes and all the different mattress sizes and what you need from towels. It's one package and you're kind of set. For, for lazy people like me, it seems like a pretty good option. That and for parents as well, we have a, a gifting program where a parent can pre-subscribe to gifts for the year that we uh, time with the universities. When they get dropped to the students, they get a little care package, whatever their goodies mom and dad would send. They just uh, give it to us and they can give us a handwritten you know, card to send a little Jimmy or Susie and we make sure everything gets to the right student, to the right university. So it's yeah. uh 30-something-year-old company doing fairly well. It's nice. And even if their names aren't Jimmy or Susie, I don't want to feel like they're exclusive. <laughs> but um, anyway, great. So, so you know, Jerry and I got reconnected recently, and I've, I've started this podcast. And, you know, uh, replatforms are something that I think are, can be very painful, um, especially when they're combined with redesigns. Sometimes you do a replatform without a redesign, and it's really more a lift and shift, which is still challenging. Um, but, you know, Jerry and I experienced one together, uh, and then I did another one with a separate firm. But, you know, what I, what I wanted to ask Jerry is, you know, when you think about the challenges, people go into these with a specific set of areas they know are going to be trouble. Um, you know, what are some of those and what are some of the ones that people don't think about that they should? So um, it's a great question to think about because it's one of those where every, every project, every time I've done it, it's always been a little bit different. Even at, at David's where we did several upgrades, kind of replatforming into the same version, several facelifts to it. Every time what was the same work, there was a different obstacle without fail that we didn't plan for and hit us in the face. Um, the, the first one is, and I learned my lesson here at, at OCM, we just did a major platform update. Um, we went into it day one calling out, these are hard. Stop thinking these are easy. Stop thinking things are going to be smooth. Um, there were vendors in before me kind of painting that picture of it'd be really simple, a couple months, everything runs on time. No, it doesn't. You have to be fair and honest and everyone has to know that going in. This is an all-in thing. You can't do it half time. If you need an entire department to be focused on it, you have to make time. And if you're not, adjust your damn schedule. If you don't, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, so the first one overall is when you're not honest at day one with yourself, the, the realization of what the company needs to do, you're going to do it wrong. Um, and typically, you know, you know, a vendors, you know, telling you one thing or even your internal people are telling you something, your gut is going to kind of go, eh, it seems wrong. Raise your hand, call it out. It's going to be the right thing at, at the end. Um, the, the next big one that everyone always underestimates is data conversion. Um, we fought through that with our, ours at, at David's years ago. We had a homegrown application that we then um, you know, ported, migrated into a commercial system and trying to fit that square peg and round hole of product data, user data, order data, all these little things that you would go, well, an order's an order. It should just fit in the next system. It doesn't work. Um, product is not always modeled the same way. You start to walk that fine line between what do I need it to do and scope creep of now what do I want it to become? Uh, and without fail, you just go down little little tangents that take more time than you expected. User data is the other big one. Um, passwords never port. I don't care what anyone <laughs> vendor ever tells you. If something's encrypted and it's keyed to that system, keyed to that system. So um, not going to work. Uh, so for any, any uh, non-technical people out there, more on the business side of life, if someone in your IT group goes, oh, yeah, we can take passwords and we'll work over here and they'll be able to log in. 
No, they won't. Plan for a route that you're going to have to message users to reset passwords and work through it. It's ugly. Just save yourself the time and headache. Plan for it up front. Put the messaging in play and you'll be fine. Um, the, the next big one, depending upon size of company, and at David's, we struggled with this one multiple times in different facets as the, the organization kind of grew. And that really comes down to your integration points. Um, whether they're to your own corporate systems, to other third parties, things you forgot about that you have to then scurry back later and get it. There's typically one person who remembers how they did one thing one time two or three years ago and they no longer work there. And you have to figure out how you're going to move data from point A to point B. Or there's some undocumented feature um, that you didn't think of that always creates a problem. Um, and you just have to take that diligence time up front and really kind of figure out what do things have to talk to, how we're going to test through it, how we're going to figure it out, how we're going to deal with when it doesn't work because it won't always work and put the safeguards in play for it. Um, and, you know, taking those couple of key principles when we just got done ours with, uh, with uh, OCM, I walked in with that honestly on the table. And while we have our hiccups, don't get me wrong, right? Every implementation always has problems. Our integration is fairly solid. Our conversion, we cut scope saying, what did we not need to convert? Because we knew it wasn't worth it. Um, what are we converting versus rebuilding? And it was clear, you know, from our board of directors down to people on the project, this is a hard effort. Stop thinking it's going to be easy. Stop thinking, you know, even if we're making it look easy, it's really hard. So don't ask how you're doing today. We're doing bad. Okay, it's hard. So let us get our stuff done. And, um, you know, we, we hit our, our marks. We're doing what we have to do. So it's you walk in with that, and then you can kind of pivot and adjust your plans as you go forward. Yeah, I definitely think managing expectations, as you mentioned, is critical because often most people haven't lived through one of these, um, especially sometimes the executives. Yep. And they don't really understand the full scope of what's happening where they, they listen to the salespeople who may have obviously you know, told the story they want to tell. Yep. One thing I remember we talked earlier that you mentioned was, was different around this time. And I think it's important to think about is how much um, out of the box you're going to try to go. Because customization in any form is um, going to be a challenge. And I remember you know, with, with, with David's, we had a, a whole specific application that had to be customized for creating personalized invitations, which probably orders of magnitude complicated that entire it, program. It was in its own right yeah. a major scale project inside of a major scale project that yeah. for whatever reason we thought would take about eight weeks to do. I don't think with eight months of time we could have done it dedicated correctly. And the absolute ironic part more than anything, six months after we had it launched live and working, we scrapped the whole thing and outsourced everything to a third party, which was the first recommendation we had <laughs> before writing a line of code of someone already does this. Why are we trying to integrate the experience? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think it was one of those, you know, every company has it. There's the truth that they want to believe. We believed, especially at David's, someone was going to buy a wedding dress, a tiara, shoes, a flower girl dress, and their invitations mm -hmm. in one checkout experience. And while, yes, technically, I guess they could have, why? The invitations itself and that model there, I mean, that was like a half-hour process of building things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's its own little intricate workflow that um, I think until we reorganized our own heads a little bit and we had different leadership in the company and we thought about what we needed to do, we went, nah, punt this to someone who really does it. 
Sure. And that's, that's the right thing to do. You, know, you take the sacrifice of, yeah, we may not have all the same level of order data and there's a customer service problem, this and that, but it saves every single time. Yeah, I definitely think that you know, when you look at sort of the complexities of some of these projects, making your life harder is, is, not, is not that ultimate goal, even though um, if the business case is there, which is, may have been the case, uh, more often than not, I haven't seen the justification nope. as clearly stated as, as it could be, but you know, you know the cost of a, a platform, the software services, uh, but then it's obviously always the vendor implementation. If you're doing it in-house, more often than not, most companies don't, uh, because more often than not, you still have a going concern. You've got a business you're still running, and you aren't staffed for doing two-scale projects. So more often than not, you're going to be leveraging outside vendors, which is something that you know both of us have dealt with and, and learned our lessons on having, you know, we've had great vendor relationships and we've had some not so great vendor relationships. The one point I'll make on that before kicking to Jerry is something that when you hire an implementation partner, you know, you're hiring a company, sure, but when it comes right down to it, you're hiring individual developers or, you know, consultants. And you really need to hire individual resumes. You need to check out those people because you may trust the company is going to put the right best folks forward, but you, it's really up to you because you'll pay the price if yeah. there's a, a, a breakdown in the, in the organization. Yeah, the, the big lesson I, I learned, and, and not only through, through David, through some stuff we did there, other projects there outside of e-commerce and really in, in other areas also is, um, I say it to all my, my partners at the office now, every time a vendor says, oh, it will be easy, they're lying. Um, oh, we've done that before. Show me three times. Because uh, if they can't do it right away, if they can't cite the example, if they can't really say what they mean easy is, because easy is a very relative term, they don't really know. Um, and a good vendor will call it out. They'll call out, here's what we can't do. Here's what we could try to do. And they'll, they'll steer you into that, that direction. Um, I've been lucky that in the past several years, I've worked with uh, uh, you know, one firm that's been very good. Um, and they're the kind of firm I'll keep bringing back anywhere I go because they, they're honest about it. At least the group within the firm I work with, they're very honest about it. Um, and that's a, a key, key asset because your reputation is online with that team. And, and I think as a, you know, any, any manager, any, any department executive, you have to remember, while they're an outside vendor, they're an extension of your team. Treat them like your team. Be honest with them. You'll be fine. If you don't and you put up that vendor, you know, client relationship barrier thing, it will fall down on you every single time. And even uh, secondary and tertiary partners we have, I'll refer to them as partners versus vendors. And that's, I think, a key thing. When you mm -hmm. have that in your mind, you know you're setting up for success. Um, and in every case where we've been successful with a, a partner, um, you know, the good deed we do back is always we're a reference client. I can't count how many times I've been a reference client for different partners and help win them business, and it, it pays back in spades. Mm -hmm. We'll get that little bit better resource at times. We won't get billed for that extra two or three hours of overtime. When we need to escalate something, we kind of always get raised to the top. So, you know, treat them like you would anyone internal. Um, but, you know, to, to Eric's point too, the thing you said, when you hire the, the team, you're hiring everybody. If you don't like who you have from a vendor, tell them. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I'll, I'll, I'll admit to every day of the week, and it was one of the last major efforts I ran at David's, I had, and I've said even to the vendor, I still work with the vendor today in a different company, um, the partner should say, I had a huge disagreement with our technical architect. And while our project came out okay, we technically did what we had to do and everything was fine, it 
cost me part of my career and my growth at David's because I didn't raise enough of my own voice to say, this guy is not going to make my team successful. Uh, and that frustration then bled out onto my team and, you know, just ultimately made me look kind of silly professionally instead of where I could have escalated to my account representation from that partner saying, look, we need to make a change. Um, so same thing if you have internal people. If they're not right, you got to coach them up or coach them out. I didn't do it for the partner. And yeah, the guy was good, but he wasn't the right fit for the team. Um, so, you know, call it out just like there are anyone else. You're going to work with these people for a long time. Uh, normally commerce implementation, and I'm going to be the, you know, the oddball I did one really fast. These are year to two year efforts. So think about it. You want to talk to that person every day for two years. If you don't, find the person you want to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Team dynamics are, are pretty critical and because it's going to put a stress on everything. Um, not to say that, that within the IT and digital world, stress isn't constantly at no. time pressure. and Not at all. Everything has to be done way faster than it should. Everything's but, easy. Someone saw it on TV. It's great. Yeah, but I do agree that you know having the right kind of open and honest culture um, uh, you know, I remember once when, when things went south on an implementation, someone, uh, an executive within the company approached us and said, you know, in Japan, they, they, you remember this conversation? Yeah, I do. In Japan, on the uh, uh, automotive uh, you know, conveyor belt, what's it called? The assembly the, line. Assembly line. There's a red button. And anyone in that company can hit that red button and stop the assembly line, regardless. And they won't, there won't be repercussions for it. And how come nobody hit the red button? And you know, my sense was at the time that the culture wasn't really there for it, that it wasn't one of those places where you would, you know, everything needed to move forward. If you were a blocker, then you were a blocker. It didn't reflect well on you. And I think that's something that that conversation stuck with me. And I think it's sort of what you're saying, right? There's a red button there that you could have hit. There is. And that, that effort too, is I remember, and I was thinking about that exact scenario even earlier, earlier today, one that I remember being one-on-one being given that talk by that individual. Um, and then I remember months later having to hit a red button thinking that there really was a problem and there really was a problem. This was after you left. And uh-huh. then I was told by the individual that I was overreacting and that <laughs> I have no right to overstep my bounds. And I'm like, but I'm hitting the red button. So I'm trying to find the, the irony there. Um, you know, there, there's always a team of people on a project that are deep in the weeds. And you always assume that the people that step above that are kind of near the weeds know what's going on in the weeds. And there's a tier of people above the people there. So you at the person in the weeds think not only the tier above, but two tiers up really understand what's going on in your world. They don't. Even if they've been through it a hundred times before, they don't. In every situation, and I and I experienced it at David's in every project that we had, no matter what it was, that as even my role evolved and I got more out of the weeds, um, I then really understood, wow, you kind of really forget what the day-to-day is like. Um, so if you're in the weeds, scream it, call it out. You know, it will, even if you, even if it costs you the job you're at at that point in time, it's probably not the job you want. So, you know, take, yeah. take the risk. It will benefit you. Um, because if you think there's a problem, escalate it appropriately. Call it out the right way. Make sure that the people step up and the step above that know what's really going on. And a good leader, a good management team, they're going to listen. They're going to be receptive. They're going to step through it. They're going to figure it out. And the project that, that we worked on together at David's, that was a mistake in the culture we had there at the time that the step above us really didn't care. Mm-hmm. They had a timeline to hit, they had things they had to do, and they could care less what was going on below 
and the group above there was only being told what they wanted to hear. And it wasn't until after that that the culture really changed where anyone can go two steps up, call something out, and if you in the middle were upset that someone jumped over you, well, that's your problem. And I saw many people be exited from the company at that middle tier because they were threatened because someone called out an issue. Call out the issue. I love when my team calls out issues. Work through them because we miss stuff. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We're not perfect. Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the cultures I was reading about recently that I really liked, I think it was Google, where the focus is on is getting to failure. Failure fast. Fast failure. Yep. Yeah. And but but it's really about you know trying to find the bug, finding the problem, identifying the problem, because people are rewarded for that, even more so than than creating a, a solution that's problem free because there is no such thing. And I think bringing a little bit of that into your approach to the team aspect of you know finding the issue fast, rewarding people for doing that. You know, it's not about blame storm, but it's yeah. more just about being aware of of the potential impact lots of things have. So um, yeah, so so I think you know there there are some aspects of, of replatforming that we've talked about and, and we've talked about vendors as a um, uh, from a headcount standpoint, but there's also, you know, it's very rare that you do a replatform and don't do some new integrations to some new functionality. Uh, third party apps now are driving a large part of the focus of when we talk about replatforming, sort of the e-commerce uh, back end, the transaction, the checkout, the cart, those are sort of, you know, table stakes. It's all the new fancy widgets and things that we add on top that I think both add complexity and functionality. Um, I'm not sure if you have sort of opinions on on how that sort of vendor palooza scape works because that was always something that for me that, that was always a challenge. So when I, when I took over um, at the director level at David's, um, after we went through all of our debacles there and everything, and they gave me kind of the throne there to run with, we had, I'll never forget the count, we had 47 different integration, third-party integration points to the system. And I remember being questioned, does that seem ridiculous? It should be like three or four, because other systems in the company were these little bubbles that were able to run within their own thing and be fine. And... I had a hard time rationalizing back that, yeah, we had too many. We had two or three systems always doing the same thing, never using them fully, so we could easily part back. But it was never going to get down to be less than teens worth, maybe 20. Um, so what I learned from there and, and really poached the idea from other people far smarter than I am, I tiered out what's core. So the table stake stuff, that's what I look for in the platform. So at, at OCM, we just implemented SAP Hybris. I looked at what does Hybris do natively really well? That's it. That's what I'm going to put around. There we go. Okay. What does it do kind of well, but there's something else out there that can do it better? Um, And then figured out, okay, what makes sense for us to have? Do I do the third-party thing or do I do the internal thing because it's good enough for now and I can grow to something later? And plan for that in the roadmap that it becomes kind of a secondary ring of things. And then all those other third-party systems, same thing. Are they close to the ring or how far out from the ring are they? And then really once you get two or three kind of layers or three or four layers out, you realize, God, those things at layer four, I don't really need them at all, so I should cut them. The things that are third layer out, I don't want to sign a multi-year contract. I'll do year to year or month to month because something's going to change or become different or better or whatever. Um, And the things that are tier two, I'm going to hold a little tighter. Um, So a great example of that is going to be some of our favorite topics, credit card processing. (laughs) Credit card processing is the biggest pain ever to move. You want to find something that is directly integrated in with whatever platform you have. 
If a bank approaches you and they say, oh yeah, it's easy. We have an API stack, do this, we'll work. Da, da, da. No, no, no. You want what that platform is already pre-integrated to. Every time I have used that, I have never had a credit card problem. Every time I've not used it, I've had credit card problems. So, yeah, you know. You want to be able to take transactions. You want to be able to take them. You want to be able to give money back to people. You want to make sure like the daily things of taking money and giving money back doing you have to do works. But credit card processors are going to change. Banks are going to change. So think about who you're going to use. And that's where other companies come into play. Do you go directly to a bank? Do you go to a gateway in between? And plan that out accordingly to what makes sense for your business risk. What works in one company may not work in another. What we did at David's was very different than what we're doing at OCM because of scale, type company, credit card volume, everything else. Um, another great one that, that I'll throw out there is some multivariant testing. There, years ago, and you worked at, at really the leader for it for the mm -hmm. longest time, was one company that did it very well. Now there's, what, half a dozen that are doing it as well, if not better. So that's a tier two thing. You're going to pick what makes sense. You're going to put your, your eggs in a basket for a while and then change when you need the change. Mm -hmm. Analytics is another thing. You're going to change when you need the change. There'll be something better eventually. So plan for it. Plan for an exit route to it. It's just like you bought software, you're running on-prem, and you're capitalizing it. Third-party things all have a shelf life too. So just plan for what its end of life is. Is it a one-year, two-year, three-year thing? If it's a, a one-year thing, don't sign a five-year contract. It's not going to do you any good. And just plan accordingly. So once I learned to do that and really put that into my head, at David's, I took our stack from a lot of bloat to a lot thinner, took some things out we didn't need, staved off things that I don't think we we're ready for yet. So by the time I left, we kind of had a good, even keel stack of what we needed. And at OCM, did a similar thing. And you'll find cost savings. You'll find labor savings. And you'll find you're paying for things you're not even using effectively. So pick things that work. Pick things you're going to take advantage of. And be honest. Am I really going to use it? Because if you're not, don't spend the money. Um, you know, you may want to have it, but do what's right for the company. That's what, not what's right for you. Good, good point. So, so one other area I wanted to discuss briefly before we go out is you know, the design linkage to the commerce. Because I, I know that often what you have happen with the replatforming is it's an opportunity to go ahead and rethink the experience. You want to take advantage yep. of maybe some new functionality or features that the new platform has. Um, I didn't know if you had any sort of perspective on how best to do that because more often than not, I always find that it's kind of a Mars-Venus thing where you when you bring art and commerce together or technology and creative, there's always going to be friction. Um, yep. You have a particular point of view on that. Yeah, avoid where you can um, <laughs> and then you'll find you'll never be able to avoid it. Um, <laughs> So again, it's one of those, it's my my world of experience, so take it for what it's worth. But um, every time, not every time, but the vast majority of times where I had a separate design team that all they did was visual design and they were not tightly integrated, a part of, or from the same company as the implementation team, my budget was easily double. My runtime was two and a half times more um, simply because they don't know how to talk to one another, not taught the same things. Mm -hmm. The implementation team knows what the platform does. The front-end team has no idea how to put their design into that. And just you will spend more time managing them and really babysitting them than executing your project. If you have to do that, just budget for it. Put your time into it. Call it out. Every project manager out there, every program manager, that's risk point number one. It's not even an issue at that point. It's a risk. You put it in red. You circle it. You bring it up at every you know, stakeholder meeting. It is a risk. It will be your problem. 
if you can get companies, and there's plenty out there that do it, that do both front-end design and technical implementation, if they both meet your needs. One's going to be better than the other, so compromise there a little bit. You're either going to have not quite the design you want or technical implementation that's good but not really what you want because the design's better. Pick which one's most important. As long as they both can do what you need to do, put them together. When we have done that, when I've seen that work, and, and we did it at, at OCM as well, you will hit your timelines because your technical architecture team will keep your front end team in check. And that company in the background will do all that policing for you to make sure the two are talking. Uh, they run on the same schedule. You have one project manager. Everyone knows what's going on. No team can make a guess without the other side knowing it. Um, and it keeps things tighter together and running faster. Um, so always, always do that. If you have a front-end team that all they ever do, and, and there's plenty out there if you're just doing a facelift, that they do cosmetic design, they do UI development, make sure they know your platform. And not, okay, sure, I've worked on it. Check the references. Go talk to people. I mean, this is a small space. We kind of all know each other or know someone who knows someone. Talk to them. Make sure they really understand what they're getting into and how pure to out of the box they're designing. Just as technical implementation, you want to stay as close from an upgrade stance to what it does and not customize. On these platforms, the major platforms out there, they have starter stores or toolkits, whatever they call them, that are 90% of what you need to get through checkout. Everything else you're changing is really homepage, product listing page, and product detail page design. Don't muck with the rest of the stuff if you don't need to. They're all doing the same thing. Follow that flow and keep people time boxed where they need to be. And that is the easiest way to control your scope. Once you open up the, the Komodo and say, we're going to do an implementation for the technical side, take the moment back, make the, the hard effort to fight off the usability design to say you did it, concede very quickly, then do it and plan for it. Just again, plan for your risks. You're going to have separate teams. You want more money, more time. You're going to have the same teams. You're going to have a higher chance for success, but you're going to compromise somewhere. Um, we got lucky that we have a great design and a great technical implementation, but there are parts of our design that, although it's working well right now, uh, and we're certainly seeing it, that we would love, love to have done differently, but there's parts in the technical implementation we also would have loved to have done differently too. So just, you know, we don't live in a world of perfection. We're iterative. Just deal with it, move forward, go from there. Yeah, it reminds me, one of my old bosses always wanted one throat to choke. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have that, it does make your job as a manager easier. But you, I think you know, I stole that phrase from there's you. There's a trade-off in me because that's what I had. And that was, <laughs> I was choked often. Um, great. Well, that is about what I want to time out. I, I don't know, Jerry, any other last words for those out there that are going about to undertake a yeah, it's platform? Um, you know, be honest with yourselves. Keep your scope as uh, tight in control as you, you possibly can. And, um, you know, leverage the people in the field that, that are your, your counterparts and other companies your counterparts of their companies, their counterparts, to share the good, bad, and ugly. You know, we've all gone through this to some extent. We're all going to find something different. Um, and, you know, especially for any of those listeners who are going to reach out to me, feel free and, you know, gladly, uh, you know, share what I've seen or, or whatever else and uh, crowdsource your ideas and make the, the right call that's right for the company. Thanks a lot, right. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first edition of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Please check the comments for any of the contact information if you'd like to get in touch with myself or Jerry. And looking forward to getting your new podcast out as soon as I can. Thank you.